This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is Where Parents Talk here on 105.9 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino. Great to have you along. On today's show, Raising Neurodivergent Children. Our guests today are each mothers of children with autism. Megan Ashburn is an educational consultant, a former teacher, founder of NotAnAutismMom.com, and a mother of four, including twins with autism. She's also the co-author of a book called I Will Die on This Hill. Her co-author is a writer and consultant appointed to the National Institutes of Health Autism Centers of Excellence Advisory Board. Jules Edwards is a parent with autism. She also has three children, all of whom are autistic. They join us today from Virginia and Minnesota, respectively. Welcome, ladies. Thank you for having us. Megan, I'd like to start with you. How would you describe your lived experience in general when it comes to caring for two children with autism? Oh, wow. That's a big question. I would say that um, my lived experience, we talk a lot about this in the book with different stories. Um, It has been quite a journey uh, of kind of getting a lot of misinformation and having a lot of confusion about how to support my autistic kids. And then um, after finding the autistic community, it, it really did help kind of help me kind of unlearn all of that and unpack a lot of the things that that I had learned in the beginning. Um, I would say that every day is different and that there really are just not enough services for families who are supporting autistic kids. Uh, So it's, it's definitely been a journey. Jules, could you describe what it's been like for you having three children with autism? In a single word, I would say overwhelming. Um, And all of my children are so very, very different. Um, And they give a really great insight on like what the autism spectrum really means. Um, Because autism is a social communication and sensory disability. And there comes some emotional regulation stuff in that as well. Um, And each of them have such different profiles that I really have to be a different parent for each child. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of trial and error in a lot of learning that needs to be done in order to make sure that I'm supporting them the way that they need to be supported. And when I was diagnosed, um, I also had to learn about um, my own needs as an autistic person and my own profile and how can I meet my own needs while also meeting theirs. So it's just been um, quite the journey. And so now I try to make it easier for other families to have um, their own path. Megan, you talked about unlearning things along your journey. What do you believe is missing from the conversation as it relates to caring for an autistic child? I really think a lot of the physical uh, co-occurring conditions, that conversation is is missing. All of the co-occurring conditions, really. I talk in the book about being dumped into the autism trash can uh, after diagnosis. And basically, that just means that once my kids were diagnosed with autism, 
it was as if nothing else mattered. And it was, it was only treated as a behavioral diagnosis when there are so many other co-occurring conditions that impact my children in different ways. Because just like Jules's kids, my kids are very different. They have very different profiles. And, and I also feel like uh, the communication aspect is not pushed hard enough and supported enough uh, for families, especially for like AAC access, which is alternative augmentative communication access. Like that part is missing as well. Jules, you also have autism in addition to raising these children with the same condition. Can you tell us why was it important for you to be part of writing this book? Um, It was important because a lot of the time, autistic people are left out of the conversation entirely. Um, There are giant organizations that are dedicated to supporting the autism community as a whole. Um, And a lot of the time, we aren't even included in conversations about our best interests. And one of the foundations of the disability rights movement is nothing about us without us. But somehow that escapes the discourse and the discussion about autism. So um, I feel like Megan and I have grown to have a really strong relationship and being able to model what we'd like to see others um, emulate is really important. So by being able to talk about our own experiences and our own relationship, our own journey, and how we've, we started in a tough place. We didn't get along when we first met. And we both had the humility and um, the willingness to engage in discussions about how can we make this world a better place for not only our kids, but all of the children out there who are not supported the way that they deserve to be supported and the families as well. Megan, your twin boys are almost 10 years old now, and lots has certainly changed in the space in the last decade. What, in your view, are some of the prevailing narratives around autism you believe still need to be changed? I think that the the most important one is that uh, autistic kids are broken um, and that they need to be fixed. That is probably the most pervasive Uh, narrative that's out there. And that's been out there since, I mean, since I even heard about autism and that, and that, that autism is a tragedy and that uh, autism has stolen uh, the the child from the family. I mean, I think those are the, the narratives that really need to change, like from the diagnosis day. Uh, Those are probably the biggest ones because once parents start unlearning that and finding the autistic community, the adult autistic community, especially uh, those who are non-speaking and those who are um, black and brown and indigenous, like Jules, like I feel like once once parents find them and see them and see them as adults, that parents can really start unlearning that type of narrative because it isn't a tragedy and it's not an emergency. Uh, That's another thing we talk about in the book. Uh, Jules does a great job at at just dispelling that myth that autism is some emergency that you have to get on right away. And 
it's just not true because autistic kids develop differently than neurotypical kids, right? They have their own timelines. They learn things in their own ways, their own unique ways and on their own time schedule. So I think that that, those are probably the most prevailing. We are in conversation with the authors of I Will Die on This Hill. Megan Ashburn and Jules Edwards have seven children between them, including five with autism. Jules, has it been an advantage or not living with autism yourself in the course of then parenting your kids with autism? I don't know if it's an advantage or a disadvantage. For me, it's just um, part of life. I, I don't think that it's a strength or a weakness. I think that part of the the best part of the neurodiversity movement, and that is um, a movement that says um, everybody has a different brain and everybody is part of the neurodiversity movement, um, whether they are a neurotypical or a person with a typically developing brain or a person with a neurodevelopmental disability. But I think all of the differences in humanity is what makes us stronger as, as human beings. Um, because I have some really significant strengths as a person that a lot of other people don't have. Um, and I also have some serious difficulties that a lot of people don't have. Like for me, sending something in the mail is an accomplishment. And I did it today for the first time in like two years. I mailed something. Yes. Um, but it's it's been interesting. And when when we each got our diagnoses, it for me, it was like the key to unlocking the supports that I needed because I didn't know that I was autistic until I was well into my 30s. I didn't know my children were autistic. And when I found out, I was like, aha, now I can figure out how to better support all of us because I just thought life was really hard for no reason. And then with the diagnosis, I was able to understand things like executive functioning, which is like the planning and doing of tasks and um, being able to find out workarounds for things or being able to um, assign tasks that I just genuinely can't do to someone else. Um, being able to understand um, my own sensory needs and, um, you know, prevent sensory overwhelm or have a plan for escape if I'm in an overstimulating environment. Um, so having the diagnosis has been so instrumental in improving my quality of life and it's also been helpful for improving my children's quality of life. Was there a particular tipping point, Megan, that prompted you to pursue writing this book? So our publisher reached out to me because I, I have an online book club uh, on Facebook and it has about like 11,000 members and we discuss lots of books in there. So the publisher reached out to me and asked me, you know, would you like to write a book? And, and of course, you know, I've, I, I am a writer, so I have like several books in the works. None of them are even close to being done. But this publisher is more, they do more things with the autism community. So it, they, they wanted it to be autism specific. And I mean, as Jewel said earlier, like it's really important that when we're talking about autism or autistic people, that we should be including them, if not even having them lead those conversations. So it really was a no-brainer to ask Jules to, or to volunteer Jules to write this book with me because we do have 
I would say we have unique perspectives in the community. And I don't know, I think that that, that was just a natural thing for us. And, and in the book, we um, invited several other autistic people to join us in the conversation. And that was really important for both of us to to make sure that everybody's perspective, or not everybody's, but there was a lot of different perspectives so that nobody was left out in, in the autistic community. It's time for a short break. Our conversation about caring for children with autism will continue with our guests, Megan Ashburn and Jules Edwards, co-authors of I Will Die on This Hill. Stay with us. Where Parents Talk will be back right after this. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. Welcome back. The latest statistics from the Centers for Disease Control in the United States show that one in 44 children is diagnosed with autism. Those numbers are similar in Canada. Our guests today are mothers with seven children between them, including five with autism. Jules, you described feeling overwhelmed earlier. Take us through the darkest period you experienced as a parent raising kids with autism. What did that lived experience look like and what got you through it? Ooh, but, uh, well, that's a that's a good question. Um, honestly, the systemic ableism, that was the hardest part for me. Um, for listeners who may not know what ableism is, it's discrimination against people with disabilities. And sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's kind of built into systems. Um, so for me personally, it was dealing with um, public schools for my son. Um, and I detail that a little bit in the book, um, respectfully to him, of course. Um, but he, when he was in elementary school about the first and second grade, um, just two academic years, he accumulate, accumulated 169 pages of behavioral referrals. And that is an excessive amount. And he was not a violent kid. He was not making threats. He was not hurting anyone. Um, it was really just a lot of uh, micromanagement of his behavior. I would get phone calls for standing on a chair. I would get phone calls for erasing and rewriting homework. Um, but because he's an Afro-Indigenous disabled child, um, they were not focused on meeting his needs. They were focused on managing his behavior. And there were so many days that I would come home and cry and cry because I just wanted him to have a positive school experience. He went to school to learn and be supported in a positive environment. And I had to spend so much time um, fighting his school to make sure that he had what he needed and so that he was understood. And um, at the time, we didn't know he was autistic. Nobody knew. Um, he was just labeled a bad kid. And he was on that path, path from that preschool to prison pipeline that occurs so frequently, especially for um, Black disabled youth. And it's, it's something that we talk about in the book, um, but I also talk about it a lot you know, whenever I can, I do a lot of policy advocacy as well. Um, but it's just 
not right that our our little kids, little kids are being targeted and not building relationships with people who can really help them. Megan, can you recall a particularly difficult time as a parent trying to meet the needs of all four of your children while also supporting your twin autistic boys? Is there something there that stands out for you? There are several, but I would say it was when uh, the twins were really young, probably around three. Uh, Neither one of them were talking by that point. And um, we were trying to get services. You know, we've gotten the autism diagnosis uh, and we were trying to get services for our family. So we, you know, our the parent community kind of helped me figure out like different Medicaid waivers down here uh, in the U.S. We have waivers to to help us get those services like uh, attendant care because my kids weren't able to be in daycare at that time because no daycare will accept kids that aren't potty trained over a certain age. And it's a very young age. So it was during that time that that I was applying for services. We were getting denied for services because in Virginia, autism is just a behavioral diagnosis. So it's not considered a medical diagnosis, which I know is just like, I didn't even know this back then. And that's something that we're trying to change in Virginia to make make sure that those kids are getting the services they need because it is a medical diagnosis. It is It does come with physical and um, and lots of different co-occurring conditions that the, that our kids need support and our families need support for. And so I think it was around that time. And, and I still hadn't even heard of the words AAC yet. And that's, that really just irks me so bad to, to just look back at like how, how privileged I am. And, you know, I'm educated, I'm white, I'm blonde hair, we have the best doctors, but nobody ever mentioned an AAC device to us. And so my kids were screaming a lot and they were dysregulated and they were, they were, they were unhappy. You know, I didn't know about the sensory differences yet. So I was just kind of in a state of confusion because once they were, you know, dumped into the autism trash can, we just didn't have any support. I didn't have any knowledge. And I had not yet found the autistic community, and nor did I know that they even existed at that time. So I think that that would probably be the roughest point uh, in this journey. Jules, when you look back on it, what would you say has helped get you through each step of the way raising your three autistic kids? I would say finding autistic self-advocates. There are so many um, autistic people who have done a lot of work to create resources for parents and for other self-advocates. For example, Samantha Craft put together um, like a list of um, traits that a lot of people with autism experience. um, And that helped with some insight and understanding of different behaviors. Um, One of the difficult things about autism is that people do see it as a behavioral disability um, rather than being social communication and sensory. Um, So that means a lot of the time people are trying to manage behavior without understanding the underlying need. Um, And my family has experienced that when one of my children was very young, he did not speak. Um, He didn't speak until he was about six. So we had to use um, baby sign language. 
Um, and we used other methods of communication um, because for a lot of autistic kids, they just don't speak until later or not at all. Um, and they need things like AAC or sign language or any other kind of tool that will help them. Um, so being able to find resources out there that autistic people who have already gone through all of this process and who have done a lot of learning, um, that has been the most helpful tool for me as a parent um, to learn from them because I don't have the same needs as my kids. So being able to learn from other people who have the same needs as my kids has been instrumental for understanding them and supporting them. Megan, what can you offer to a parent who perhaps has just received an autism diagnosis for their child in terms of an appropriate starting point for them? I would say uh, to read autistic uh, books, to read books written by autistic people, to to find blogs that uh, are run by autistic people, especially those who are non-speaking or um, BIPOC autistics, I would say start there. Uh, there are so many books out there and that's kind of the reason I started the book club and that the book club has been going on for so long. Uh, on my website, we have uh, a book list for parents who are brand new to autism, like just a targeted book list for them because there is so much information out there. And depending on what direction you take, is the information that you're going to get. So if you go down one path, you might get this information. If you go down another path, you might get this information. But I think that the best information and the most valuable information is the information given by autistic adults. And, you know, you'll hear sometimes, well, you know, these autistic adults aren't like my kid. And it's 100% right, right? They are adults. And your kid is like three or four or five. So they are not the same as your kid because they have had 30 plus years to, uh, to adapt to this world, to cope, to learn those uh, coping mechanisms and to, you know, get literacy instruction and all of these different things. But I think that if parents start by learning from autistic people first, they'll be able to support their their kids way better than than otherwise. Jules, any tips or strategies you could offer for parents who are given this diagnosis for their child? Absolutely. Um, so parents, a lot of the time when their child is newly diagnosed, they are afraid. Um, and that is due to a lot of um, so-called awareness campaigns that are built on um trying to stigmatize autism, really. And so the public perception of autism is, is flawed. And um, a lot of the time, the doctors who do evaluations don't necessarily know the ins and outs of things. They might recommend certain therapies without understanding them fully. Um, and so it's really important to have a thorough evaluation that looks for co-occurring conditions like um, learning disabilities. Um, I am very, very satisfied with our evaluations because they drew out enough information for my children's co-occurring learning disabilities that um, we could find the appropriate supports for them. 
Um, we didn't just put them into a behavior management program, which is what often happens for a lot of autistic children. And then they're not even sent to actual school to learn. Um, they're deprived of an actual education in favor of be behavior management, or they're put into self-contained classrooms, which means they're only around other um, children with disabilities. Um, so parents, it's very important for parents to question everything and do a lot of research before they commit to anything. Um, I wrote a welcome letter to parents and I, um, it's titled Autism Moon. And it's meant to be a gentle reminder, like take a big breath. It's not an emergency. Your child is still the lovable, beautiful person that you knew before the diagnosis. You knew who they were before that piece of paper ascribed a diagnosis to them. Um, you know what they like to do before bedtime. You know what comforts them when they're upset. So parents need to believe in themselves and not be scared into doing things that they don't feel comfortable with for their children. Um, so I guess that would be like my biggest recommendation for parents with a new diagnosis. Megan, what would you like readers to take away from your book? I would like readers to to just know that there's more than the medical model. Um, because this book, while it's marketed to parents uh, and autistic adults, it really is for the greater community. Like, it's for the neighbors. It's for the people in church or whatever religious organization. I want people to know that the tragedy model or like the tragedy narrative is not the only narrative, right? And that there are other, there are other conversations being had and that, and that the medical model is only just one perspective, right? And I want people to just, to, to open up to other perspectives and to know that there's more to, to what they know and and just to be open to learning. Jules, what do you hope readers of I Will Die on This Hill leave with? So my biggest takeaway that I would like readers to have from this book is a sense of humility. And that's one of the seven grandfather teachings or the seven sacred teachings of the Anishinaabe people. Um, so that's one of my cultural teachings. Um, and it's very important when when you're someone who is trying to support somebody who is not like you to be humble. And that is um, it's applicable to raising children who are not your own race. It is applicable to raising children with a disability. Um, it's a applicable to raising adoptive children or foster children um, as parents. We really need to be humble and learn what our children need us to be rather than deciding um, I'm the parent. I know what's best. You need to do what's best, what I think is best for you. And um, one of the things that I love most about Megan is that she reached out to me um, with this great sense of humility. And she's like, um, would it be okay if I asked you questions sometimes when I'm having a hard time, if I don't understand something? And I was so thrilled because a lot of the time disabled self-advocates ask parents, like ask us if you have questions, we're here to help. We want to help you and your children. Um, but it's not very common that parents, you know, reach out with that sense of humility and say, I would really like your help. 
Megan Ashburn, and Jules Edwards, co-authors of I Will Die on This Hill. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your insight with us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I'm Leanne Castellino. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you'll join us next time. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region.